In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Those who think us to be wasting our time think that we are worshiping Mary or think that we're taking this all too seriously. But it's really a, a time to ask them, who, who do you think we are? Who do you think we are really? There are those who will play with theology and claim that the church hasn't believed in the assumption since 1950, or has only believed in it since 1950, which begs the question of what, what people were meditating on during the fourth glorious mystery of the rosary for all these centuries. If anything, for those, for those who play games with theology, we can recognize and point out on this day especially that the authority of the Holy Father is at the service of the truth. It's not as though truth is at the mercy of the authority of the Holy Father. And so we join with every Christian, every, every Christian worthy of the word, worthy of the distinction, in worshiping God and giving him glory by giving fitting veneration to the one creature upon whom all of his promises have been fulfilled. And she then reveals to us who we are really. Creatures, fallible, yet immortal, who by the grace of God will be raised up to become almost like God. Those are the words of sacred scripture, that we become almost like gods. In contrast, the world will object and claim that we either are gods or others will object that we are just simply animals. Sixty years ago, it would have been fewer the people in number who would probably claim that they really are God. We can call them titans. Maybe in business, maybe in medicine, maybe in government, attorneys, or people who wield the mechanisms of war. And we would expect them to object. They are the ones who really create things. They are the ones who really decide life and death. They really are gods. All this talk of God is nonsense. Pray to your God and see what happens. Nothing. And while we're being mocked on that side, we're being, being ridiculed on the other side by those who tend to congregate around college campuses who say, we're just simply animals. And in between stands the church. On our side is the philosopher. The philosopher can tell us about the immortality of the soul and the existence of God and the justice of God. But the philosopher only lays the groundwork for revelation. And our Lord reveals, not just by his words, but by his actions, who we are and what his promises mean for us. 
We are creatures made in the image and likeness of God, flawed, fallible. And our immortal soul, whose health is worth protecting at any price, has been redeemed by the cross. He promises us eternal life if we live in him and die in him and hope only in him. He promises the resurrection of the body. He promises to come back and to bring us with him. He promises that a place has been prepared for us in heaven. And so Christians celebrating the assumption of the Blessed Virgin Mary, who at the end of her earthly life was taken up body and soul into heaven, who did not experience the corruption of the grave, Christians aren't surprised. In fact, if anything, the Christians of 2,000 years ago would have been surprised that this wasn't happening to everybody. The assumption is no anomaly. The only thing that would have been puzzling is, um, when, when is it our turn? We were expecting this sooner rather than later. And so in the Blessed Virgin, we see both one who is uniquely blessed and at the same time one who is exemplary, who reveals what will happen to all of us if we remain faithful to God's promises because we know he always will remember his promises. She reveals that these creatures that we are, fallible yet immortal, actually will receive the transforming grace of God and become almost like God's. If we wonder why now, why is this defined in the most recent century? Why is this a holy day of obligation most years? in this country? Do we need wonder when we know we're surrounded by people who at the same time reject this notion that we are creatures made to be almost like gods? In the most ordinary ways, forget about the titans of business or government or war. More and more people have at their disposal every possible form of entertainment. Within the next decade or two, with a 3D printer, everyone will be able to have at their fingertips anything that they want. And so as time goes on, it's more and more people who consider themselves to be God, to have no need of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And even their knowing that there are poor people elsewhere in the world who can't have any of this, does not move them to humility and gratitude and caution and austerity. If anything, it only convinces them that they really are gods. But shy of that, there's already the most ordinary way in which people manifest a gross misunderstanding of who we are in relation to God. We hear it all the time someone about to die or someone who's just died, and and we hear people say, well, they're certainly going to be in heaven, or we're we're certainly going to be together. 
And these are people who have nothing to do with Jesus. Perhaps nothing even to do with religion. But they are certain that, they, that there will be instant happiness for them waiting as soon as they stop breathing. We wouldn't be able to ask them, really? By virtue of what? But we can ask ourselves that question. We can let them hear ourselves ask that question. Why am I so certain that when I die, I go to heaven? Why is it so certain that when I die, I'm going to see everyone that I miss? Is that because I'm just simply used to always getting what I want? Is that because I'm going to be really angry if I don't get what I want? By what authority, by, what, by virtue of what certainty do I expect that? I'm not God. That's not something that I conjure up and, and, and grasp because I want it. Even if, even if a, a, a man has that intuition that we are immortal and there is eternity, apart from Jesus, people only dig themselves a deeper grave when they blithely assume that, oh, we just simply go to a happy place. It's only Jesus. It is only the, the blood of the cross that reconciles us to God and makes possible the yearning of every human heart. And the ordinary way in which the other side plays out is not simply I'm an animal and I'm going to simply live as an animal, but it's simply I'm resigned to, I'm resigned to, to sin. I'm resigned to suffering. I'm resigned to never getting what I want. It seems as though the the continuing, ever, ever unfolding drama around Planned Parenthood pulls together these two, these two victims of, of modernity. Those who consider themselves God, who control life and death, and, and those who are just simply, um, powerless. And into the breach strides the Christian, who knows that, yes, we're, we're, we're creatures and, and we have flaws and we, and we don't always succeed in doing what we want and we certainly don't always get what we desire. But that's a, of trifling significance compared to the fact that we already are redeemed and we all can be forgiven and we all can be recipients of God's grace and can suffer heroically, can mourn heroically, can work heroically can love each other heroically. We can become almost like gods, even though we are flesh and blood. And so at this altar, we worship God. We, we, we praise him and honor him because we know that one of us, the best of us, the Blessed Virgin, has received the fulfillment of all the promises of God. And we know that we only need to persevere to be faithful, to love him, to suffer with him, and to rejoice with him. From this altar, then, it's our body and our soul that receives his body, blood, soul, and divinity, which one day will be a manifestation of the resurrected glory. 
that comes from God and will last forever. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.